This podcast is brought to you by the Maryland State Library Agency. The MSLA podcast features presenters from statewide youth programs, as well as learning opportunities for library staff and resources for patrons of the Maryland State Library for the Blind and Print Disabled. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another LBPD guest hour. I'm so excited because we have the Maryland State Archives here today. Specifically, we have Jennifer Abbott, and she is currently the Deputy Director of Research, Education, and Outreach, and serves as the Deputy Commissioner of Land Patents at the Maryland State Archives. She has a bachelor's degree in history and anthropology with a minor in geography from Salisbury and has a paralegal certificate from Anne Arundel Community College. She started at the Maryland State Archives in September of 1999, and she has grown from there. So welcome, Jennifer. Hi, thank you, Ashley. It's exciting to be with you today. Great. And I've got to ask, I went to school for archiving myself, so I have a, I kind of have a, a little bit of a passion for it. How did you end up at the archives? I've always had a lifelong passion for history, uh, and I knew I didn't want to teach. That's the thing everyone asks you when you're studying history in college. Oh, so you want to teach? And it was like, no, I really want to be out there, and I want to help share stories and history, especially of our wonderful state. I am a Maryland native. Uh, as I said, I went to Salisbury for my degree. Very cool. Very cool. So tell us about the Maryland State Archives. What exactly does the archives do? So the Maryland State Archives is the central repository for all government records of permanent value. So we have records going back to this founding in 1634. That's going to include colonial, state, executive, court records, land records, things like that. Uh, so we preserve these records and we make them accessible in our public search room. And some records that are over 100 years old are actually available online as well. So why do people come to us? Uh, a lot of people come to us because they need certified copies of records like death records, marriage records, divorce decrees, uh, separation agreements. Those type of things have been transferred to us by the government agency that created them, whether it was like the court or the Division of Vital Records and they've been sent to us for storage. Uh, they tend to need these types of things for legal purposes like insurance benefits, filing for retirement, estate settlements, and most recently, real ID requirements. That's a huge one to track name changes over time and events such as that. Um, in recent years, we've also seen an increase in requests from people who are seeking dual citizenship in countries like Italy and Ireland. We also have special collections, which are our non-government records. So those are things like church records and maps and photographs and newspapers. Uh, one of our records in that collection is a ledger from the family that had enslaved Frederick Douglass on the Eastern Shore. Uh, Douglass never knew his birthday, but he chose to celebrate it on February 14th because his mother always referred to him as her little Valentine. The ledger lists Frederick Augustus, son of Harriet, as having been born, in fact, in February 1818. And that volume is currently being lent and on display at the National Portrait Gallery in Washington through April 21st. So that's, we're more than just people coming to us because they're doing their genealogy or working on a historical paper or historical research matter. We get a lot of scholars, authors who come to us, that type of thing. The archives is also home to the state art collection. So that includes artwork and furnishings in the state house, 
the legislative office buildings, the governor's residence, which is government house. Um, but it's not limited just to paintings and things in those buildings. You've got statues like the Memorial to Thurgood Marshall and Lawyer's Mall outside the state house. Wow, that's a lot of responsibility for um, for your agency. So how is the Maryland State Archives different from, say, somebody like the Baltimore City Archives? So the Baltimore State Archives is actually our sister agency. We have an agreement with the city of Baltimore to manage it, and two of our staff members serve as the Baltimore City Archivists and the Deputy City Archivists. So while our focus is the state and counties and municipalities of Maryland, their sole focus is on Baltimore. So they're going to have municipal records such as records from the Department of Transportation, the Health Department, tax records. They also have some non-government manuscript collections like maps and photographs. Um, some of those include photographs from alumni of Eastern High School, uh, records from funeral homes, and administrative records for the Baltimore City Symphony Orchestra, just to name a couple. So do you guys like share records back and forth? They have their own uh, archives and facility on Matthew Street in Baltimore, and their search room is open by appointment only. We do have some of our records stored there, but for the most part, we tried to serve them where they are. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, with all those records and with, with everything that you guys do, I'm sure that you have, you know, exhibits. Can you tell me about some of them? Are they like pop-up exhibits? Are they exhibits found only in person or can they be online? You know, so tell me a little bit about, about the exhibits. So we have a variety of exhibits. We don't really have a lot of dedicated in-person exhibit space at our facility, which is at 350 Rao Boulevard in Annapolis. We have a permanent exhibit in our lobby that focuses on the history of the archives from its establishment in 1935 as part of the state's 300th anniversary celebrations to the history of our present building, which opened in 1986. Um, among the interesting items is that, that we have a 3D lenticular portrait of retired state archivist Edward Pappenfuss that's hanging in there. So it's really interesting because when you look at it at one angle, he's holding a map. But then when you kind of move your angle that you're looking, it flips and he's holding an iPad, which features that same map. And it's meant to show how he helped guide the archives into the digital age and really helped us become a leading institution in placing records online. We do have some exhibit cases in our search room. Uh, right now, there is an exhibit focused on Alex Haley and his research at the Maryland State Archives when he was working on roots. Uh, it was at the archives that he located an advertisement for the Lord Lincoln Ear, the ship that his enslaved ancestor, Kunta Kinte, was brought to Annapolis from on from the Gambia in 1767. And while doing research at the archives, he developed a long friendship with Phoebe Jacobson, who was the head of our reference services department at the time. As also in person, the archives oversees exhibits in the Maryland State House that detail both the state and national history that took place there. The highlight of that is George Washington's handwritten resignation speech that was developed to the delivered to the Continental Congress when it met in Annapolis on December 23rd, 1783. And the old Senate chamber has been recreated to preserve that moment as well. Uh, we do have some of our exhibits and projects available online. You can get to them if you go to our website, which is msa.maryland.gov, and click on the Maryland History tab. 
Among the items you'll find there are online exhibits and feature documents, but also long-term things we work on, like the Legacy of Slavery in Maryland project, our MyEast Indigenous Records project, the Maryland 400 Revolution War project, and the Maryland Women's Hall of Fame. Oh, well, that's perfect. Perfect. Because March is actually Women's History Month. And I have to ask, how does the archive preserve women's history in Maryland? I know one way is through the Women's Hall of Fame. So why don't you tell us a little bit about women's history in Maryland? The archives is indeed the online home of the Maryland Women's Hall of Fame. The Maryland Women's Hall of Fame was established in, in 1985 by the Maryland Commission for Women and the Women Legislators of Maryland. It seeks to honor Maryland women who have made unique and lasting contributions to the economic, political, cultural, and social life of the state. And inductees can be living or historic, and they don't necessarily need to be native to Maryland, but have perhaps had the most success in their career and things such as that. Um, it is administered by the Maryland Commission for Women, and they approached just about 20 years ago to be the online home of the hall so that we can better share the stories of these such wonderful women. Uh, over the years, they have funded interns to create and edit detailed biographies of these groundbreaking women. Each fall, they put out a call for nominations for the hall. Generally, you have to submit a biography as well as letters of support and an independent committee reviews nominations and selects women for induction into the hall in March during Women's History Month. And the call for nominations and applications is typically posted on their website, like I said, in the fall, probably like October-ish maybe, uh, which, and their website is marylandwomen.org. Um, as far as how the archives itself helps preserve women's history, you know, this is obviously my focal point is on the projects I manage, but we do have that special collections, which are all those non-government records. So we accept, you know, personal papers or papers from groups and things during uh, 2019. Of course, it was the 100th anniversary and 19 and 2020, excuse me, of course, was the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment. So some of our focus was on preserving records of women's clubs and things that we were approached about. But really, we just like to have these online exhibits and help focus on these women. So there are a lot of women. Um, I'm looking now through the Hall of Fame. There are a lot of really outstanding women. Do you have a particular favorite? Or someone that you kind of point to and say, yes. <laughs> so the Women's Hall of Fame, uh, there are so many amazing women in the hall. And they cover such diverse backgrounds. You've got people with civil rights and law and public service and medicine and education. So, you know, some of the fields that we typically associate with women in that instance, but also you've got like Dr. Eugenie Clark. I had, was unfamiliar with her myself, but uh, she was known as the shark lady because of her groundbreaking research studying them. Um, my personal favorite, I have a couple that I actually nominated over time through my work at the archives, um, and Gertrude Poe was one of them. Um, I had the fortune to get to personally know her and nominate her, and she was, again, someone I was unfamiliar with prior to meeting her, and she became known as Maryland's first lady of journalism. She had been trained as a lawyer, intended to practice law, and she came back to her hometown ready to practice it. And the lawyer handed her a newspaper and said, here, 
do this. <laughs> and she, she took that on at full force and became the editor of the Laurel Leader dot, and really focused on making community journalism important and telling the stories of the people of Laurel. And in 1958, she was elected the first woman to head the Maryland Press Association. Um, and she received many awards for community journalism during the course of her career. That's really cool. So she went from being gung-ho about becoming a lawyer to becoming a, an editor. Yes, yes. And she really put her heart and soul into it and really had extremely high standards. It was really a, a treasure to get to know her over the years. Well, and she, of course, is an, as, is an inductee into the Hall of Fame. Yes. Oh, that's She was awesome. inducted in 2011. Very cool. With the Hall of Fame, do they have to have passed or do they, or can they? No, be- no, no. People, she was living at the time. Um, she passed away in 2017 at the age, I think she was about 102 at the time uh, when she passed. So she lived quite a long, remarkable life. Um, no, and that's one of the great things about the Hall is that they are recognizing both living and historic women as well. So you have people like Katie Ledecky, who is still, you know, extremely active in her career uh, with swimming and presumably going to continue to be (laughs) win awards in the upcoming Olympics this year. But then, and you also have Major General Janine Burkhead, who recently was named the first, oh, no, sorry, she's not the first, but she recently was named the Adjutant General for Maryland last year. Um, she was the second woman to become that. Her predecessor, uh, Dr. Linda Singh, was also nominated, inducted into the Women's Hall of Fame as well. That's so cool. How can we preserve women's history here in Maryland? Like, how can we, like me, the average person, preserve women's history? So, it re- in my opinion, history really starts locally. You know, don't look for the groundbreakers per se. Talk to the women in your family. Talk to them in your church, your community. You know, what are their stories? What has their experience been? Help record and share their stories. You know, I had the extreme fortune of knowing my great-grandmother for many years. And I, now looking back 20, 30 years later, regret that I didn't talk to her about things like being a Rosie the Riveter in the Boston shipyards during World War II and, you know, seeing the change. You know, she was born in 1900, so she really got to experience the bulk of the 20th century. So those are the types of things, you know, understand women and how communities and what was going on in the world really helped shape their lives and what challenges they encountered and how did they try to persevere through what they had to go through. You do a lot of research in your job. Have you run across anybody this year that you're like, ooh, they should be part of that Hall of Fame? Uh, The archives has tried, but it's been unsuccessful to nominate um, our former director. I mentioned Phoebe Jacobson earlier, who worked so closely with Alex Mm -hmm. Haley over the years. Phoebe did a lot of really groundbreaking work for uh, starting to recognize records that detail the history of African-Americans and indigenous people in Maryland. She really laid the groundwork for a lot of the work we're trying to do now, you know, 30, 40 years later. So it'd be nice to eventually see her. In the <laughs> um, but that so far, that's where we're at. 
Okay. Okay. So, all right, people, write in campaigns. I, you know, <laughs> let's make that a campaign. One question that pops into my head is, does the archive take volunteers? We do, in fact, and that actually is one of the many hats I wear. We do take volunteers. Um, right now, we're taking volunteers uh, in person. We have a long-term project with the Maryland Comptroller's Office and the Family Search uh, Organization that is affiliated with um, the Mormon Church in preserving and digitizing records. So we have folks who sit in our research room and they help process and inventory uh, private materials so that they can be placed online. That's really our big project at the moment. Um, we do take uh, some imaging volunteers and also we do some court records research. One of our other projects is actually you don't even need to come to the archives to do. We have an um, online transcription project that we run through a third-party site to help index marriage records. We have a lot of people who come to us say, like I mentioned before, they need marriage records for legal purposes. And we don't always have the best indexing or any, sometimes even any indexing to them. So these folks are helping go through scans and enter all this information in database so we can better serve the public and researchers now and in the future. A really prime example of that is there's no uh, index to Baltimore City marriage records for the 1940s. And you've reached the point where that generation has been dying off. And again, people need copies of these items, whether it be for like veterans benefits, survivor benefits, things like that. Oh, wow. Lots of opportunities to help. Yes, the on-site ones are restricted to our normal work hours, which are Monday through Friday, 8.30 to 4.30. Now our search room is not open on Mondays, but we do have some volunteers working on that project that day. Okay. So if someone wanted to get in touch with the Maryland State Archives because they had a follow-up question or perhaps they wanted to volunteer, how would they do that? The easiest way to reach anyone on our staff is through our help desk email address, which is msa.helpdesk at maryland.gov. Or to go to our website, which is msa.maryland.gov. So easy, so simple. We, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> we, we try. To, we try to make it simple. Well, you know, our website, which is msla.maryland.gov, it's our initials too, or the Maryland State Library Agency's website. So I understand ha wanting to keep it simple and clean, just like that. All right, guys. Well, that's all the time that we have today. Thank you so very much to Jennifer for being here. I hope to have the archives back again someday on another topic. So that would be interesting. As always, have a great week and we'll see you again next month. This has been a presentation of the Maryland State Library Agency. For links to additional resources provided by today's presenter, please visit the show notes. For more information on MSLA or the Maryland State Library for the Blind and Print Disabled, visit MarylandLibraries.org.